Hello, Dogalos. It is I, Bob Sham, the host of your favorite documentary podcast, The Documenteers, the show about documentaries. And we discuss them sometimes really deeply, sometimes really funnily, and we rate them to the end of time. And surprise, it's a surprise episode. And you've, maybe you've heard of this movie, it came out, or maybe you didn't. Uh, when Akil and I went to go see this, it was very late at night. We're the only people in the in the theater. But we are talking about Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 11.9. Michael Moore can be a controversial figure on a myriad of levels. Akil and I, we there are chunks of the episode where we're not even, as you can imagine, talking about the movie. But the movie does fuel the conversation. So as you can imagine, this is kind of the most political episode of the documenteers probably for sure the one of the rawest episodes because it's an in theaters episode and we don't really get too clippy with it but there are some clips in there uh for sure because you know how i am but it is about yes these trump years and where they're going and michael moore you know uh if you're looking for a movie with not a lot of fear in it this one probably isn't for you but we do point out that there's uh, aspects of this movie that are very refreshing and very surprising. And I think Akil and I, and to an extent, we're both a little surprised by this movie. Also, there's a mention of some young blood, some young people coming from their communities and running for public offices. We forgot a lot of their names. We did remember Richard Ojeda out of West Virginia, but we also met, and you also hear from in this episode, uh, Rashida Talib, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Michael Hepburn. Hepburn's from Florida. Tlaib's from Michigan. Ocasio-Cortez, she's she's kind of hot right now, right? I, I see a lot of bigwigs like complaining about her and laughing at her, which that might be a mistake, dudes. You might get the egg on your face in the future. But we just wanted to cite those names because we forgot most of them and you do hear from them in this movie and in this episode. I hope our listeners have a a broad range of opinions out there. After all, human beings are nuanced. And I think one of the biggest things that is forgotten in today's world is that there's nuance and uh, nothing is ever that simple. This episode could have been uh, a full day long with all the things you could say. We obviously can't say everything about everything. And in this age of of arguing about politics, this but what about bullshit. I, I can promise you that whatever your but what about is, it's we probably don't like that any more than you do. But this is it. This controversial movie. Is it controversial though? I don't know. It seems like everybody knows what to expect at this point. But will it get people out or is it just preaching to the choir? Well, let's be honest, in a, in a big sense it is. I'm honestly not sure if I would have went to the theaters to see this if I wasn't doing a documentary podcast but but ultimately i'm glad i watched any documentary and i'm glad akil joined me for this one follow us on social media at documenteers there is no more twitter i decided to not have that so instagram and if there's a facebook fan page you can contact me personally about anything at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com and Please, oh please, give us five stars and a review on iTunes. If you like the show, and we have plenty of more episodes other than the one you're just hearing that you can listen to and compare and contrast of different themes. And if you like it, give us five stars and a brief review on iTunes. That helps people find us, and that helps us grow. It's better than the dollars in your pocket, I'll tell you that. Let's get into the shit. 
with Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 11.9. Keep on docking. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. The president's powers here are beyond question. Ladies and gentlemen, the last president of the United States. Kill, it's late. It is late. And uh, we, we are punchy. We are punchy. <laughs> and we're really thrilled because we just, we got in your car. We went to a place called Hendersonville for those of you not from the Davidson County National Area or the surrounding areas. Indian Lakes, what, what? Indian Lakes, baby. It's a big swank shopping area that wasn't there like 15 years ago. Right? No, it was not. But man, so much has been built up. Hendersonville is kind of like, uh, it does have some working class parts, but a lot of it is like a very richy rich kind of. Yeah. We went to the theater and we walked up to the Indian Lake Theater. Regal. Said, it's a Regal. It's a like Regal. Be upfront about that. We're not trying to promote Regal. No, I mean, it's a nice theater. You know, yeah, yeah. But Regal, suck my dick. Yeah, pay for advertising <laughs> if you want. Otherwise, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> It's real, easy. it's real easy to be a part of this gravy train, Regal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you think you're getting this for free? You suck. <laughs> there, we'll probably go be at plenty of Regals yeah, again. Yeah, that's pretty much the only option we have. And we went up. And Hendersonville Indian Lake Theater is like all recliner seats. Which most of the theaters at this point have yeah. moved over to. Which I'm not, I'm not enthralled with that. Although it seems like people are going to theaters less and less than they used to yeah. years ago. They're just doing whatever they can to get butts in the seats. Our beloved bell cord is still classic style. I don't necessarily, it's nice to sit in these reclining seat theaters, but I don't need it every time. Yeah. And they actually start to become kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. My legs start to get numb around hour 15, hour and 20. Yeah. It, and it feels, it still feels weird. It wasn't as bad tonight because we were literally the only two people in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> there were it, two other people that bought tickets and they never showed. It's weird to be reclining and I'm wearing my pants. In public. Yeah. Reclining is something that you do in the privacy of your own home when you're probably not wearing pants. Yeah. And they it sh- still feels awkward, particularly when there's a turtle stranger sitting right next to you. Yeah. It's, I don't know. Staring at your crotch. It's a little off-putting. But you demand it. And I'm way more inclined to fall asleep on a movie if I'm in a recliner. Also, the recliner scene is now pick your seat. Right. And I always forget that every time I go. So we went up to the window. And we were like, um, two for Fahrenheit 11.9, please. (laughs) And then they they popped up the seating chart and they said... uh, well, pick your seat. And I was like, which ones are available? And then they said, all of them. <laughs> There's a little bit of talk about Michael Moore. He went on a, a, a tour promoting this documentary. Something like a sequel to Fahrenheit 11.9, but, or 9, Fahrenheit 9.11, which is the highest grossing documentary film in documentary film history. It's got a lifetime gross of over 119 million dollars that's a lot of change for a documentary and as you remember after he put that out george w bush lost his re-election and everything was cool did he (laughs) 
I don't seem to remember that, Bobby. I'm getting so good at selling bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, everyone saw Fahrenheit 9/11, and then everything changed. That's George, right. Yeah, and then and then we were like, sorry about this Iraq invasion yeah. shit, and they left. And then we had John Kerry for four years. Yeah, yeah, with his ever melted face. <laughs> The melted, they should call him the, the melting man. He was a good looking guy when he was younger. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he's a bad looking dude now, but the years have definitely taken a toll. Gravity has taken a toll on the crevices sure. of John Kerry's face. He has kind of a Crypt Keeper vibe. It's been a good year for documentaries. I'm looking at the box office mojo documentary Lifetime Gross, 1982 to present. Number two is uh, March of the Penguins. Oh, that's oh, sweet. And we'll get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> Wait to the winner for that. That'll be a winner episode. But Fahrenheit 11.9 is getting busted on a little bit because not a lot of people are going to it. Now, I think it's all relative. Based on how many theaters this came out in, it says here 1,719 theaters. It's to date made $4,069,293. And it opened at a little over $3 million, which is actually a lot higher than, say, what Michael Moore's uh, Sicko opened at. Which is one of my personal favorites. Michael Moore's Sicko, well, it opened in one theater, but it went on to make 24 milli. But I think it's all relative. It didn't do well for the amount of theaters it opened up in. But I couldn't imagine it cost him more than $4 million to make why do you, why do you? I'm curious as to why. Why do you think that is? Why do you think? Because it seems like in the current political climate, this will be a movie that will probably, I would think they would actually do fairly well. I would think so too. And almost in a way that Fahrenheit 9-11 did. Yeah. There's a lot of theories and there's a lot of facts that contribute to our current political climate. But I think there's something about like uh, a liberal base, a certain aspect of the liberal base that does not even want to watch Donald Trump and even like in any kind of ironic or skewered context. Yeah. Like just seeing this guy, even if it's complaining about him, as everybody should, that people don't really want to just deal with this guy. He's very saturated. The man really is good at manipulating media. God, yes. And we are, we're also at a time where the people who are going to go see this movie are kind of already on board. True. I mean, it's definitely a preaching to the choir situation. Yeah. It seemed like Fahrenheit 9-11, it got around. And movies like Bowling for Columbine, yeah. that they got around. And I have issues with those movies. Like, even looking back, I felt like he kind of, like in Fahrenheit 9-11, he had the mother whose son died in Iraq. He really utilized the mother a lot in, uh, in pushing home like the atrocities of this war. It felt a little insincere like she was being used a little bit to me yeah, i don't remember much of anything it's been a while Fahrenheit since i've seen it and i don't mean to diminish this woman's pain but she was pretty much trotted out a little too much yeah for my taste and bowling for columbine um another movie that's been forever since i've seen about gun control basically there was it happened not long after columbine that movie came out and there was this narrative on the columbine shooters where maybe they were uh, bullied or pushed around. I don't think he stuck hard with that narrative, but there was some implication towards it. And since when we have discovered that these guys were not unpopular, they had friend groups, yeah, and they were like just fucking psychopaths, basically. There's a lot of weird presumptions. At that time, those school shootings on that level was very new, so 
maybe I can forgive us for uh, just kind of going through it like that. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, I think it was a a decision of maybe they could have waited a little bit longer before making that movie. But at the same time, I realized like it, that was, I mean, it was and it still is a very hot button topic, yeah. but particularly back then after something, a tragedy like that that we had never really seen right. before. And so I understand like the need to feel like to, to get this out while it's still yeah. something on people's minds. People are still thinking about it and talking about it. But when you do that, you also end up missing some things that might not come to light until later. Yeah. And then it makes you look at the movie itself through a different lens because you've got more information. So on this show, we're, we're, we're starting to see that as we do more and more documentaries, how a lot of documentaries that seem okay, but fall slightly short seems like, their the lack of patience uh doesn't benefit them yeah but at the same time i can understand how the need to just somebody's going to do a documentary about this we need to jump on this yeah. quickly yeah i understand that feeling and that particularly when, you, when you're talking about a documentary that's dealing with any subject along the lines of social justice like in any form when when you're dealing with something like that it's usually because it's a reaction to something that's super important affecting a ton of people and so you want to bring visibility to that and so you want to get that and get it out as quickly as possible so that you can sort of ride that wave. And as people are still thinking about it, bring them in even more. So people don't, cause we so quickly forget about shit in this country. Like, yeah, I mean, the school shootings have just become part of the fabric of the landscape at this point. So, but this, but this movie shows that there are still people out there yeah, yeah. pushing in the more inspiring parts of this movie. And it's, it's nice to see the fact that they're young which is much that's needed. Now, this movie is almost a, a, con a continuing thread from all of Michael Moore's movies. It's yeah, almost like, I feel a, like it's like a culmination of everything, sort of. From like Roger and Me uh, to, yeah, Fahrenheit. I mean, he's, he's essentially been tracking, not realizing it, up to this point. Like, all of his yeah. movies have built up to, like, this is, I guess, it, it, this could potentially be, this could be his last documentary. And... I would be totally fine with that. It would be a, he's it'd be an interesting book before, you know, during Trump's third presidency, he's thrown in prison. Oh. <laughs> Never <laughs> well, to be, be throwing a lot of us in prison. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Michael Moore, we, we all know Michael Moore. He broke out with Roger and me, which I think is a classic yeah. that brought really brought to light the troubles in Flint, Michigan. And then, but he blew up and with films on, uh, Bowling for Columbine and Fahrenheit 9-11. I, I already said the, the, the issues I had with those movies looking back on it. Then he put out other movies like, like Capitalism, A Love Story, I think was his last one. And that didn't open for shit. So a lot of people are busting on this one, but Capitalism, A Love Story did not do very well. I think well I watched that one on Hulu yeah. a few months ago. And I, I honestly don't remember much about it. And Sicko, I actually thought was a really good one. I enjoyed that one. Quite I, a bit. I think that is one of his better ones. So, like that and Roger and me are probably my favorite Michael Moore movies. What are your thoughts on Michael Moore? What is, what is your history on him? Um, the first thing I ever saw was Fahrenheit 9/11. My mom's a huge Michael Moore fan. Oh yeah, big time. And we actually went to go see him speak at uh, Bridgestone Arena, uh, and I can't remember. I think it may have been just prior to. Um, the 2007 election with Barack Obama. I was pretty young. I mean, that movie came out a long time ago. Um, I was kind of raised in a house where my mom's very political. Um, 
And so I, I was just, I had never seen a documentary like that before. I hadn't really seen a lot of documentaries up to that point in my life. I probably had, but just didn't really identify them as documentaries in my mind. But going to a movie theater to see a documentary was not something I'd ever done. Right. Um, and I mean, he did exactly what a documentary does is he hits you with gut punches. Like he, he pulls all those emotional strings, which is kind of part of the gig in my opinion. Sure. Um, particularly when you're doing a documentary about the subjects that he's, where you're, you're putting, you're doing it, not just because I want to tell the story, but you're doing it because you want to force some sort of change on a large, a, a broader level. Michael Moore has an agenda. He has Absolutely. A, he has yeah. a mission. Yeah. And it's, a, and Michael Moore movies are good examples of like, there's a lot of political stuff in this movie that we agree with. I would say at yeah. least oh, I yeah. do. Yeah. But it is a, a nice reminder of how documentaries truly are most of the time. They have a, a specific mission to guide you in a certain way. And, I mean, we happen to agree with a lot of this stuff. And there is stuff in this movie that is undisputable fact. And you just have to see it. Right. But he has a goal. And I believe that Michael Moore's goal is to get us all to vote in the midterms that are coming around the corner. Yeah, I, honestly, I didn't really... I purposely didn't even really look into what this movie was about. Yeah. And it was actually, I had certain expectations and it didn't turn out to be what I thought it was going to be really at all. I'd, I'd heard about like a lot of the mixed reactions of it and how it went underperformed according to a lot of articles. I feel like, like I said, it's all relative for a documentary. Right. I would say that $4 million in counting is actually really good for any documentary, but yeah, the same thing. I mean, it's only a second weekend. And it'll have it'll have a life. It'll have legs after the theatrical release. He pulled things off in here that I almost forgot that he's funny. Remember that show TV Nation? Yeah. Yeah. I used to love that show. Yeah. Michael Moore used to be funny. He used to blend protest with comedy. And it was like a working man kind of angle. Right. Because he's from Flint, Michigan. He has a working class background. Now he's a fucking loaded director. But and a lot of people criticize him for that, but I mean, he's successful. Right. It doesn't make him a part of the problem. Exactly. We're not against success. We're against the privilege that wealth provides. And he even cops to some of that in a way at the beginning of the documentary. I mean, he cops to the fact that he fell, he fell short. He had opportunities to maybe be a little more vocal about certain things and bring some things to, to light. Uh, and he didn't for whatever reason. And, he feels really shitty about it now is what I, the sense that I got. Um, but I mean, you know, we're all fallible. He does have some pointed criticisms in this movie that I did not expect him to make. Uh, nor did I. Criticisms that I often have over the generality of the political system. Yeah. The things that are very frustrating. I have to give him credit for actually pointing it yeah, out. He did not pull punches on for on either side. I mean, he went for both parties, and which I really appreciated because... He's he basically said exactly what I've been thinking for yeah. really a long time. A lot of people have been thinking for whatever reason have been made to feel like it's not something worth it. putting any energy into because why bother? It's not possible. The machine's broken. I got to give Michael Moore this credit. This is the brilliant. He's good at this. And this is a fine example of how funny he can actually be. The very beginning of the movie, 2016 election night, <laughs> we see a, a, a montage of uh, news channels being like, Hillary's going to win this. Hillary's going to win this. So we see all these supporters packed into a building. They woke up. Everyone's like, 
I just voted for the first woman president. We made it. We all remember this time. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is depressing. My wife was crying when Trump won. And uh, a lot of people were just like, oh, my God. But Michael Moore actually made this into a comedy. Yeah. Trump winning and like because it's funny as fuck. I mean, it, it was funny and and I and when that anyone, song. This is my fight song. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm alright song. This is my right song. And the switch to like the monks chanting, the Gregorian monks, the horror movie music when they would flip back from the Democratic. Yeah, to like the Republican, <laughs> not trying to hold back on like the comedic lack of subtlety. Yeah, but it worked, and we were cackling. Yeah, <laughs> during this part of the movie, we were cackling at something that bummed us out when it was happening in front of us, watching Donald Trump become president. But we're removed from it, and he lays it out, and it it really was like a joke. And I have to say, I when I don't know you guys, I don't were you there at the same place we were, or were you here on election night? Oh, we were here. Okay, so I went to a friend's house. All of us, obviously, very liberal. And for me personally, that night was exactly like the sketch that SNL did with Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle the Saturday after the election where they were the two black people at the party and the shock on everyone's faces and the denial, like the five stages of grief that everyone went through that night. And I'm just like, yeah, it sucks, but I'm not surprised. Like, why am I not? Why am I the only? Oh, I know why I'm the only person not surprised. (laughs) Because, yeah, they're not used to having their hopes and dreams <laughs> right <laughs> torn away i mean i know exactly what this country is capable of it's it's shown it over and over again in, it, in vivid technicolor <laughs> there definitely was um on the news uh you after the election a lot of black people were like yeah, <laughs> yeah. yep <laughs> and it's like i mean i didn't cry i was bummed <laughs> i was bummed but i didn't cry yeah yeah after it sunk in it was like of course he would of course he would win yeah Why wouldn't he? <laughs> I feel like the Republican base, they don't like their selections too smart. Romney, uh, McCain, they seem too smart, I think. Yeah. This guy, he tells what we want to hear. Yeah. But they fucked up with this guy. They thought they could control him. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we start a kill? We got to try to keep this within yeah, an hour. That's true. That was that was our goal. Um, so Trump is president. Right. So what you, what <laughs> you asked me about, about my feelings towards Michael Moore. So I recognize Michael Moore. I Michael Moore and I probably agree on 99% of things. But at the same time, I also recognize that there's an agenda there. And even though the agenda is the same agenda as mine, I'm still, I'm always a little wary. I try to read between the lines. You know, there's, he, he does a lot of things that are meant to go, to be very visceral and go right for your emotion. Yes. And you got to kind of step outside of that. And he's good at it. Oh, he's great at it. Like, I mean, that's, that's his bread and butter. I think with my political history, personally, I I was always a pretty liberal kid and I would get in arguments in my household and in classrooms, elementary through high school was out in the country. Remember being in high school, getting in arguments about abortion 
and like gay rights when homophobia was rampant oh, yeah. i'm not please don't make me out to be a hero because i probably was also i would probably turn around and just be like a homophobic asshole and not even realize i was doing it yeah. in some way just that was how the culture was and it was wrong but we're just smarter now and then when i went to college i became surrounded by i no longer had to argue what i felt like were basic human rights but then i went to college and there was this environment where everyone agreed on everything all the time everyone was like it sounded like people were arguing but it was almost like they were arguing over who agreed more it became a very bizarre thing and i almost became resentful in a very different way i fought over here and it was so frustrating but now i'm over here staring at a circle jerk and it's the circle jerk can be a problem but i mean you but you wanted to be in that circle jerk and yeah i got it i mean i was young i wanted to come like everyone else of course and i jumped in the circle jerk and i was like you know this is pretty trite but i jerked i mean it's a very uh self-congratulatory atmosphere it sounds like that's the thing and it seemed poisonous i mean these were my friends but i I didn't i I didn't feel like we were helping anything yeah it's like it's like the white people who are self-deprecating about being white or like people who remove their whiteness from it yeah. like they think there's something special right something yeah else. or like they make fun of white people and look white people do stupid shit i mean make fun of us we are funny <laughs> in ways we don't even understand that's fucking hilarious but like especially, but yeah especially when you're taking my rights away <laughs> <laughs> that's our greatest trick <laughs> there's so much in this movie man it's a lot to unpack michael moore posits that gwen stefani got john donald trump elected that uh, Donald Trump got upset that Gwen was getting paid more than he was making on The Apprentice to show up on The Voice. So he sets up a, a phony campaign. He sets up to run for president. Now, Donald Trump, didn't he run in 20, um, 2012? Uh, memory serves, he kept saying he was going to run. Well, it was like a primary, but, but he didn't make it yeah. for primary. I, I mean, he didn't even attempt to. I mean, he oh. just kept talking about it, but nothing ever came of it. So Michael Moore posits that he's just putting this on like he does all the time. He starts getting momentum and more and more momentum and more and more momentum. And I believe that Trump did not expect to win election night because there wasn't like much of a party. I mean, he had a gathering of supporters at Trump Tower. A more sullen group of people never existed on a stage at one time. <laughs> and also, you'll remember, I don't even think it's shown in this movie. I th- one of the Trumps, Eric Donald, I don't know, they both look like twats i can't i get them confused all the time american cycle number one and american cycle number two they're looking at the numbers come in and they're mouthing i can't believe this is happening i mean he did not know and yeah suddenly this this idiotic id of the republican party is president and you know one of my pet peeves is this notion that i think in the future the republicans are going to want whether it be in uh, 2020 or the next cycle like how when bush was on his way out how they didn't even invite him to the rnc conventions when mccain was running one day it's going to be like that for trump they're going to be like he's an outlier he said all these things and yeah he he would just say whatever he wanted but as far as like what trump managed to whip up out of his base this is the frankenstein monster that the republicans have been creating for years absolutely they get upset because they can't control everything he says Remember after the Parkland shooting where Donald Trump just goes, uh, maybe we should uh, ban guns for just a little bit. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
they can't control what he says yeah. and that's frustrating to them <laughs> but as far as like what's being passed and what's going through like the supreme court or this tax cut that they put through that in eight years is going to have to be paid for and is set to be paid for by working people right. and not by the people who benefit the most from it. And by that time, hopefully we're not in an economic depression. doesn't matter, man. We got like an extra $200 this year. <laughs> That's what I care about. Right. Here and now. Don't tell me about what's going to happen six years we're from now. Be, if you don't think about six years from now, we're going to be <laughs> fucked. <laughs> That's not my problem. That's, that's, how you, that's future Akil's problem. We're talking about present Akil right now. The Republican Party is so good at the here and now. That's oh, all God. they care about. Yeah. They're not that's playing they a long game. No, they are not. They're not. Actually, maybe they are because Michael Moore points out in this movie, and I believe this, that the majority of the country is actually very liberal. I do believe this. Yeah. One time I was having an argument with a relative, and this isn't the smartest relative. And uh, we were, he was talking about how Obama was like a socialist or something, right? You know, that old yeah. argument. He's a Muslim socialist. And he's like, and this Obamacare, it's going to uh, put us in the graves. Made no sense. And then he says this. What we should have is that everyone should just have free health care. <laughs> like, uh, dude, that's, that's socialism. <laughs> That's more socialist than anything Barack Obama <laughs> right? did. People don't even realize we're already a socialist country. Yeah. Uh, your fire departments, the police force, the roads, infrastructure, all that shit is socialism. Yeah. A lot of pro-gun people out there. But if you say to a lot of people, do you think that people with mental disorders should get automatic weapons? Most people are going to say, no, that seems like a bad idea. You think people with a history of domestic abuse, well over half the country will be like, no. Most NRA members agree with all that stuff. Most NRA members don't have any problem with, you know, background checks and, you know, just common sense laws to make it a little more difficult to get a gun. But yeah. they're not the most vocal members of the NRA. Now, since the Parkland shooting, uh, the state of Florida has made, I believe, certain types of guns unavailable to people under 21. I guess that's a good thing. But other than that, there's been no changes to gun laws since the Brady Bill. And the Brady Bill just provided a wait list, which, right. which can be, I think, gun shows can be Completely. like a loophole around oh, yeah. that. Totally. So there's always been this narrative that they're trying to take our guns away. The Democrats are trying to take our guns away. Yet there's been no true movement. No. Even in light of like mass shootings. And this might be a controversial statement. I'm a little cautious. I mean, I support limitations for violent offenders and shit like that. All those reasonable things I mentioned. But a lot of reaction to the to guns. I encounter a lot of people who know nothing about guns who just say, full ban, full ban. <laughs> and it's like, well, you got to. People actually say that? Yeah, sometimes. Well, I mean, you know, maybe maybe you're right. It's just a small amount and the conversation is more rational than we when than we let it seem like on the internet or the television. But much like the war on drugs, my worry is that the people who would be affected on gun bans would be minorities and poor people. Just like the war on drugs, we know that drugs are everywhere, but they don't go everywhere to stamp this shit out. Right. They only go to certain neighborhoods. And that's my main concern. I'm way off track. This is going to be a weird fucking episode. <laughs> well, this is a weird fucking movie. It is. But Michael Moore goes to task on the Democrats. Big time. Shows that, that one, they take money from pharmaceutical companies 
and banks from Hillary to Obama. He shows Hillary sending fucking cardboard cutouts in place of her to certain states. We know that she didn't go to Wisconsin or Michigan. In hindsight, it just seems like, what were you fucking thinking? Yeah. She was walking around like she had it in the bag. Also, they showed that delegates were going to Bernie in a lot of states, like in West Virginia. West which, Virginia. I, which I knew, but I didn't realize the extent I, the same that here. was happening. I but, mean, it was state after state after state. And I'm thinking, are you fucking kidding me? And what's the and, and that's the whole thing is like, what's the point of voting if it does not matter? You know, and you know what's interesting? They were calling out states that often are red. Yeah. That, I mean, West Virginia actually has a pretty firm Democratic history, but it's also got a conservative. It's been more red like in the last 20 years. But yeah, they were talking about how these red states were going for Bernie. And in West Virginia, every county went for Bernie. 55 and counties. Bernie, there's no politician where I agree with everything that they say. Bernie, maybe some of his trade stuff was, my thought was like, well, good luck with that. But he was able to speak to the nature of class and the way people are being stamped down. And he knew how to say it to where it crossed the divide of many cultures and colors. He did not. And ages. And ages. One thing that fucking annoyed the fuck out of me on, and I don't watch cable news networks, but sometimes I watch these dickheads uh, on internet clips, how they talk about, they were playing right into Republican hands by putting Trump on television all the time, but they would talk about working people and separate them from people of color as if most people of color aren't working right. people. Yeah. That- There's this idea in this country, and this has been a thing for a long time, but the, and he talks about, you know, this idea of real America. Yeah. And, you know, real America is the heartland. It's the working man. It's the family that, you know, where both parents are working to put food on the table, live paycheck to paycheck. It's like, hey, motherfucker, like, that's all of us. Yeah. That, 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 that lifestyle does not discriminate based on race, no. religion, or anything. Like, and that's the big problem with the Democratic Party is that they somehow managed to, in their desire to get the minority vote, they completely left behind these white people yeah. who are equally poor and fucking don't know a lot of times if they're going to be able to pay their mortgage. We're all the fucking same, but they played into this whole narrative of, I mean, Going back, the deplorables thing. Yeah. I remember hearing when she said that, and I was like, ooh. It's like, you are so dumb. Why the fuck would you say that? Yeah. Seriously? I really thought she was smarter, at least, than that. And then when all that happened, she did not adjust her game at all. And that's been the big thing with her, in my opinion, which is why I wasn't surprised that she lost. And I've never been, I've never been a Clinton person. Right. Like, ever. I just know too much about them to ever really be on board with them yeah. i was resigned to her just because oh well shit it's her sometimes it is a lesser of two evils this was definitely the case this past election yeah and um, you know if y'all are hearing us criticize hillary and you're a big hillary supporter we voted for her yeah we voted for yeah her. absolutely and it's not like that we stepped out we didn't we didn't abstain from this election we put our vote in so we got our opinion i mean i voted for bernie first yeah i did too <laughs> and then you know i got on board yeah uh, because the alternative well You've seen it. <laughs> we all know what the alternative is. But with those delegates, the thing is, the Democrats, the Republicans, their delegates go by a majority. It's like a straight popular vote. Yeah. Sure, they can't win that popular vote in a major primary, 
But they do run a popular vote in their <laughs> own party primaries. The Democrats don't do that. The Clintons bailed a broke DNC out years ago, and the, and the DNC has been in their pocket the whole time. So despite places like Oklahoma and Montana and West Virginia going to Bernie, when the superdelegates who represent the whole state, Fucking when they walk up to the microphone, they say Hillary Clinton's name you could hear in the audience the divide i mean people are like we just got fucking screwed yeah you know and you can see it on bernie's face. god bless him for I, withdrawing but yeah i mean you could see it all over his face he he was pissed yeah and defeated i mean he looked defeated of course this is the scenario that we got i think hillary just felt like she deserved it when barack ran in 2008 he was against this war he was against all this shit i don't think you can be president if you were complicit in the invasion of the Iraq war, yeah. whether you were a Republican in that time or one of those democratic senators who thought like abstaining your vote was going to like somehow help, right. like thinking you're going to fucking Pontius pilot this shit, you're responsible for the destabilization of the Middle East, which led to the rise of things like ISIS Republicans and the democratic senators at the time are responsible for that. The ones that supported it. And she openly supported it when Barack ran he got more votes than anyone in the history of elections in 2008. More than anyone. As the reality of the uh, <laughs> of the system took hold, <laughs> I mean, he still handily won his re-election, but he was running on the things that a lot of young politicians now are coming up and running right. on. And a lot of things that um, Bernie was running on. And then a lot of people were disappointed when he just handed a bell out as he got when he got into the office the, the movie also mentions uh the drone strikes of uh, civilian casualties there they don't mention yemen that administration admitted yemen could have done been done a yeah. lot better they also get into the clinton history which fucking sucks i don't think the clinton administration holds up at all no they surge private prisons yeah basically the enslavement of black americans yep you can lay that right at the feet that's clinton shit the exodus of jobs from the United States? Yes. Bill Clinton. That's right. And and he contributed to the deregulation that was continued by other Republican presidencies. These people were just, it's like they were conservative and that the other Republicans were ultra conservative. I think- uh, The needle just kind of shifted and it's never, it's just continuing to shift in that same direction. Except hopefully, I'm hoping that now maybe we're starting to get our version of the Tea Party. That is, um, that does seem to be happening and it seems to be- a lot smarter and more driven. Well, let's get to that real shortly. We also visit Flint. We get a, oh, man. a modern history of Flint. We meet a motherfucker named Rick Snyder, who was elected in 2010. Is this guy still governor? Like, is let me. I don't know. I hope so. Rick Tyler, you my motherfucker. Rick Snyder. Snyder. I think Tyler. it's Rick Snyder. Ricky. I love this guy. Yeah, he's the current governor of Michigan. And we asked while we were watching this movie, like, since 2010 or 2011 he's been the governor and we were asking like how's he still the governor but the whole point of this movie is about explaining why people did not show up to vote yeah in this last election and it's this, insane that the shit that he pulled yeah like surely there was a criminal investigation none of that like and i, I think that's part of we're, we're all very aware of what happened in flint yeah, but the crisis, the it's water a very, problem. It's another one of those stories that was hot for a few weeks, mm. and then something else came along, probably a school shooting, and just kind of knocked it off of the radar. And we have a bad habit. We have 
such horrible attention spans in this country that we'll be irate about something. And then weeks later, we've moved on to something else. Meanwhile, that problem still exists. They still have shitty water yeah. in Flint. Obama didn't do shit about it. No, he actually kind of did a dog and pony show where he just, pretended to drink it. Dude, that was just excruciatingly painful to watch. I yeah, was, yeah. And I don't. I didn't really understand the context of that. Like, I got that more here. Yeah. Because I know Flint has problems, but this movie did a good job of explaining specifically what happened to lead to that moment, which I was not that aware of. They wanted to build a pipeline from Lake Superior... Lake Huron, Lake Huron to run into Flint and but they decide and it was supposed to be like a public pipeline to but run they into already Flint. they already had one they already had one <laughs> but he decides to pr- put in another line privatize it basically so it's benefiting these companies and they divert Flint's water supply through the Flint River which is it's a the, cesspool it's the fucking Flint River it's exactly what you would think the Flint River would be and lead poisoning starts to occur. High lead counts, especially in young kids. And they literally rigged the numbers to make it seem like it's not that bad. There was an instance where the GM plant was, it's the lead count in the water was messing up the the auto parts and the, the car bodies and was hurting them basically. And they did divert some of the proper lake water, but only to the GM plant. Those poor cars. And not to like human beings. The elderly are dying of Legionnaires disease. People uh, are having to. But they're brown. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as brown as that fucking water. It doesn't matter. Gosh, it's just some rough shit. While we're on Flint, I want to keep talking about Flint because there's this part where this freaked me the fuck out. Michael Moore legit scared the shit out of me. We start seeing military military helicopters. Holy shit. I didn't know what was going and on I was when like, that scene started. I was like, are they bombing? Are they, bo- yeah, are they bombing strikes on Flint, Michigan? <laughs> I, I, as it turned out, and this is still fucked up. Yes, it is. That Flint, because it has so many of these large abandoned buildings, is now the site for military training for the Army. Fucking exercises. But they didn't inform this town. So suddenly, literally, convoys... And helicopters are rolling over the town, and they're like, what the fuck's going like on? Like convoys of tanks and shit. They're fucking, there's machine gun fire. People are from freaking buildings. the fuck out. I mean, and the guy that he's, you know, that they interview on the street, he's like, can, can you imagine? They would have never done this in any other neighborhood. Yeah. Any other city. Yeah, let's, uh, let's just ship all our shit to Flint. I mean, it's insane it. to, to think that, that, I mean, how did we even, how did we not know that that happened? I mean, and that that's part of the problem is yeah. everyone should have been aware that that was happening in fucking Flint. When I when I started seeing that scene, I was like, are we looking at an invasion within our own soil yeah. by American troops? I was like, oh, this shit just took a turn. I was like, Akil, we got to go to Walmart and get some guns because <laughs> shit is about to go down. You know, you say that. We need to get out I of our comfortable Hendersonville theater. One, <laughs> all those recliner seats. We need to de-recline. <laughs> One of the uh, side effects of that movie, which I I think may have been unintended by Michael Moore, or it could have been, I don't know. There's a certain point in that movie where I was like, I think I might need to go buy some guns. This like, is seriously, you know, liberals need to at least learn about guns. Yeah, no shit. Just learn about them. Yeah, I grew up a country kid. We had guns all over the place. I mean, we weren't like a gun nut house. But I don't recall people, and there was always an element of like, don't that government, don't take my guns away. 
But there were there was a gun, at least one gun in every house. It was like having a refrigerator. I think we see this culture of gun nutness where people think they're fucking Rambo and that like a never miss bullshit. And it's like, you know, in our wars, most of our casualties in modern wars are by our own troops. Yeah. These are trained men <laughs> with the best gear. And they accidentally shoot each other all the time. Yeah, motherfucking Joe Blow on YouTube's like, I don't fucking miss. I'm Rambo. It's like, this isn't fucking Predator. You're shooting you're... a paper target in your backyard, motherfucker. All these people, they're like, <laughs> they're experts in their own mind, but they haven't truly been tested. Yeah. They don't understand the volatile nature of a situation. And just to clarify, the reasoning behind all of a sudden feeling an urge to buy a firearm, it has nothing to do with me being afraid, like, you know, taking the government's gun, take my guns, take my country back. It's to protect myself from the crazy nutbags. Who are trying to, quote, take their country yes. back. <laughs> because it seems like in the movie, one of the things they bring up is, you know, this idea that a lot of people have, most people in this country have, that like, well, the Constitution will protect us and we're a democracy and but you have to work to maintain a democracy. It's not something that just exists on its own. And recent history has shown that we are allowing rights to be slowly whittled away. Yeah. And he does this whole, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to this later, but the whole allegory between Trump and Hitler, which a lot of people have issues with. Yeah. Um, which I understand. But in the context of how he presented it, mm -hmm. yes, I, I definitely... I can see where he's coming from. I think it's a very valid because you, you have to be able to recognize that kind of stuff. If you keep hiding behind blinders and saying that's ridiculous, like that could never happen. Like, well, I mean, obviously it could happen because it did happen. So I very recently read bury my heart at wounded knee. And I'm now reading this book called uh, killers of the flower moon, which is about this Osage tribe that found oil and became some of the richest, like in the world after they got shoved onto this reservation and basically a literal conspiracy of like local government coming to chisel away. Our country is founded on white supremacy. Oh, absolutely. We've had Hitler's before there was right. a Hitler. Exactly. And, I mean, and, and we're not, I, I love the fact, I can't remember the name of the guy who we interviewed when he was talking specifically about democracy. We're not really a democracy, not yet. I mean, we're sort of working towards it. But as he said, up until like, you know, the early 70s, like if, if black people can't vote, <laughs> a significant portion of your population isn't able to vote, then you are not a democracy. And we're, yeah. and we're only 40 years removed from that. So, And if you make it to where felons can't vote, you know, so much for inalienable rights. Right. And they always paint it like you want rapists and murderers to vote. That's less than 20% of the prison yeah. population. And the whole thing is you've done your time. Yeah. If you've done your time, you fulfilled your requirement based on what the state has, has forced you to do, then you should get that right back. I mean, there's a documentary called the 13th that we have not gotten to yet. And I'm, I'm worried that uh, I'll just like be screaming into a microphone when we, <laughs> when we get to that one. It's like a Netflix one. Check it out. Slavery is not dead. That's all I'm saying. But uh, I think with the Hitler argument is because I think you're right. He The points he makes, he's making real historical points and they deserve to be seen. But there's something in people's mind because because it's such an atrocity. We called we called uh, W Hitler. Every president does something that the fucking Nazis did. 
whether it's some small thing or 10 big things. And when Obama was president, they called him Hitler too, or at least the right did. And with the Obama presidency, and this drives me fucking nuts, the Republicans made him out to be this big socialist. But the liberal, his liberal base also treated him like he was a socialist. <laughs> what the fuck? He was like a centrist. Oh, absolutely. He seemed like a socialist when he was running for yeah, president. that shit went out the window real quick. And I think, you know, at least on a basic representative level, he was a better president than most that we've had in our lifetime. They talk about how the Democrats compromised. They had a montage of them saying compromise. That means giving and letting corporations run the shit. Right. That's what it means when a Democrat compromises. Even Cory Booker, a beloved uh, a beloved politician out of New Jersey, he takes like 200 grand from pharmaceutical companies. And he actually voted down a bill that had bipartisan support to put to make sure that prescriptions had a price check on them. And he actually voted no. This is Cory Booker, a guy who's like on the front lines when we're getting some shady Supreme Court justices, who's getting up in Jeff Sessions' face because he was a racist in the past. He's pocketing It's money. because they're, they're all beholden yeah. to that shit. I mean, every single one of them. And everyone knows that. This is not news. I mean, that's yeah. that's the thing that people complain about the most about the government is the friggin' they... The, Business, big business has them in their back pocket. Well, fuck. What are, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, I mean, you just got to keep complaining. Office. Yeah. That, which is, my, I think, my favorite. The the only really inspirational part of the movie. Because for the most part, you feel kind of down yeah. about a lot of shit. I didn't think there was as much fear mongering as I thought there was going to be. But the last half hour oh, is yeah. like fear mongering oh, yeah. central. But I felt like well that the... The modern politicians that are coming up in the wake of the 2016 election, these people that are from communities, from everyday communities, representing their own places. One that we fell in love with, his name is Richard Ojeda, and he talks to Michael Moore, and he was like, You deploy because your nation sends you to these places. And then one day you come home and you realize it was all a lie. Our town is dying. One out of every four homes is an abandoned, dilapidated structure, and you get told, keep picking up trash and let leaders do what leaders do. Elected leaders in our towns, in our, uh, in our states, in our country, absolutely are self-serving. They have no idea of what it's like for a single parent to put food on the table for her child. You know, you come home and you realize that I, I can take you five minutes from here and show you where kids have it worse than the kids I saw in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm. So that's why I come back here and I started speaking up for the things that I believe in and I will not shut up for nobody. And I don't give a shit who you are. I'll fight you in the damn street right now. Okay. Um, I'll fight a motherfucker in the street. This guy is- This guy uh, is, he's my hero, man. <laughs> this isn't gonna be a clippy episode because it's an in theaters episode, but let's play a little bit of this guy. <laughs> I'll fight you in the damn street right now. I want- this guy to be president like right now the, hey hey uh white working so-called white working class base let me uh show you richard ojeda i'll fight you in the damn street right now you can relate to this, this is guy, a guy right? who you can actually relate to versus your current president yeah who, who somehow has convinced you that he relates to you and understands your struggle yeah who wouldn't give you the fucking time of day no. who was never going to give you what he will only give to his children 
if he even gives he'll eat his children for a billion dollars except Ivanka Ivanka he would not well he'd eat Ivanka but you know <laughs> we also saw I mean we already know this but he gets a boner over his daughter so we would see like we saw a montage of him that was just the most that was the creepiest most unsettling <laughs> and, then, and then Michael Moore's voice comes in that make you feel uncomfortable <laughs> yes we yes, have, Michael Moore, it did. We also see uh, Trump sucking Vladimir Putin's dick. And then he's like sucking Kim Jong-un's balls. And uh, that Duarte guy from the Philippines, he sucks. His, he, I think he licks his ass a little bit. All your favorite totalitarians, they yeah. all show up. Yeah, be proud, America. <laughs> you are what the dick you suck. <laughs> Oh, my God. But, yes, guys like Richard Ojeda, and um, I didn't catch all the names. Richard stands out because I love a, I love a thick redneck accent. I'll fight you in the damn street right now. Well, I had heard about the other person because that was big R- news. Rashida. Yeah. From Michigan. Yeah. Not her. No? She's, I mean, she's all, I loved all of them, but the one that made the most headlines was the one out of New York. The definition of electoral insanity is trying to reelect these same guys over and over again and expecting our country to be any different. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, whose name I can't remember right now. Um, but she handily defeated yeah. the Democrat that everyone, that the, the, the Democratic Party had all their money behind. I mean, millions of dollars were spent on this campaign. I think maybe she raised like over $150,000 for a campaign or something like that. I'm not looking at this information up, so I'm sure the numbers are off. But a minuscule amount of money compared to what this guy had and I, managed to beat him and that made me so happy <laughs> i wish i could remember her name but uh, we got we had a lot of names in this yeah. there's a lot of young blood this is the part that i felt like for me is more effective i mean i'm gonna vote anyway i mean i always was but this part and watching these these people from the community who want to take a stand and rep actually represent their people right and watching them stand up to these establishment party members within their own party and being like, you can't do this, you can't do that. And they're like, fuck you, I can do what I want. And then they win these elections. To be able to encourage someone to run for office, man, it is truly the lack of political will from our Democrats. And their backbone is literally just missing, right? And you put both of those components together, and then on top of that, you're taking money from the same folks the Republicans taking money from. The Democratic Party should be recruiting extraordinary, ordinary Americans that actually get on the same bus as their constituents. Actually have kids in those public schools and understand what it feels like for a teacher not to get paid well salaries or lack of resources, right? That's inspiring and more, probably more motivating for me than I could imagine the the Hitler comparison. Because basically in the last half hour, we watch a lot of like Hitler footage. Yeah. We even hear a Trump speech while we watch Hitler talk which that was that was classic okay you've got you've done you've gone too far michael moore yeah yeah like, that like, was like you yeah I, that's the way i felt too i was like <laughs> dude i was with you i was like yeah you were surprising me and now this is like oh okay yeah okay this is what's going to turn people off their bias people's biases th- this part is not the showing the politicians rise up and take back their communities that's going to change more hearts than the Hitler thing. Yeah. And, and honestly, I felt the same way about the whole stuff with him and Ivanka. Yes, that's it's kind of funny and it's cre- it makes you feel uncomfortable. But we're all, we're all aware of this whole thing that's been said about them. But the fact is, there is 
nothing to substantiate any of that. Yeah. Um, it's all just people's perception of what they're watching on television. Nah, bro, he wants to fuck his I'm daughter. Sure, I'm 100% sure that he does. <laughs> yeah. But the fact is... I, it's it, not unknown. And all it, all it serves to do is alienate the people who really, the Trump supporters who actually, I think, if you took that out and some of that Hitler stuff, if they watched that movie, I think they would actually be on board because it's speaking to the shit, the reason why they voted for this asshole to begin with. Except they're being presented with actual people who give a shit about them. Now, Trump definitely rooted into, he tapped into the fears of people who are pretty much broke and marginalized. Their jobs are not around. He successfully, and we live in the South, this is a tale as old as time in the South, Make sh- don't give jobs to broke white people and make them, and then be like, uh, it's the brown person's fault. Yep. So let's, uh, let's have a big fight about it. That's like Southern history 101. Yeah. And that's essentially what Trump did. And these are uneducated people who have, admittedly by the party members that they've probably been voting in for years and years, have been uh, suppressing education, which makes them easier to manipulate in the long run. Yep. But people like Richard Ojeda and I'll fight you in the damn street right now. A lot of folks in West Virginia, they're not having it. So there is some hope out there. And that hope meant a lot to me. It meant so much to me to see that. And that's my favorite part of the movie. Absolutely. And that part alone is probably why I'm not going to totally shit on this movie when I give it the final rating, because that's what was so important. I liked how he how he called out the problems within the Democrats, almost more so because we know what the problems of the Republicans are. They've always been blatant about what they what they're going to do. And but we've always known Democrats to either not stand up to what their own base believes political parties they've just become like pyramid schemes where you're projecting what you want onto them and they're saying yeah we'll do that but they're not really delivering take like the gay marriage issue when joe biden came out and said yeah i think uh, gay people should be allowed to get married it was halfway into a second term the country based on polls and stuff was already veering over half into allowing that to happen in light of that, because the country is progressing naturally on that issue. Then Joe Biden comes out and says, I think gay people should get married. Right. Oh my God, uncle Joe, what a hero. Forget about all these people that for generations have been abused and suffered. Right. All the work that they've done in Stonewall and how they've come up. And then Joe Biden says, Oh, I think gay people should get married in a safe environment yeah, where it's, it's, it's just where it's even playing the safe game where it's, even conservatives are starting to come around yeah. on it and kind of environment. And it's like, Oh wow. That's so brave. No one's ever. No, that's not, that's not being a leader. No, being a leader is taking the stand when you know that what you're trying to do is right. Even though you're getting a ton of pushback from the people that you're supposed to be representing. That's a hard, that's a hard, difficult part of being a leader. You can't always, be concerned with pleasing everyone or pleasing your base for that matter. It's it's that's not what it's about. And if you can't fucking do that, then that means that your job is really just about staying in office, which most politicians, that's their only concern. Some of them may start off altruistic motives and have great ideas about the changes they want to make, but very quickly it turns into, I got to stay in office. The rationale I think being, what good can I do if, if I don't get elected? Well, what yeah. the fuck good are you doing now? Like, you're spending all your time, most of your time, sucking the dicks of multimillionaire and billionaires, mm. and 
trying to raise money for your next election. Hey, why don't you come down here and suck our dicks for once? Right? I mean, it was historical that a high-ranking politician in an active presidential administration did say that. But they're not the people that won that battle. That battle had already been fought, and there's people in the Supreme Court fighting that battle in the process of that. It's those people who gave that right. That administration did not give that right. Right. People had to go to the Supreme Court and fight for it, and the Supreme Court had to finally fucking rule on it. They get a lot of credit for that. Joe Biden gets a lot of credit for it. That's the pyramid scheme aspect of it. Prior to that moment, the Democratic Party line was a, uh, it should be a man and a woman. That was their line. Yeah. It just seems... God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Yeah. It seems like the base is so easy to forget that. And and I get it. Like, uh, a corporate shill that is pro-choice is at least a little different than a corporate shill that is pro-life. I get that difference. I mean, that's the difference I voted for when I fucking moped to the polls <laughs> in 2016. <laughs> but economically... It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same fucking thing. And we have to empower these people in our communities to do so. Uh, like like Rashida and Richard Ojeda. That's what I like the best about this movie, for sure. But Donald Trump, they, they he pointed out something also that was very interesting. That, yes, Donald Trump uh, did whoop up the racial tensions. He's good at manipulating media. He's good at using media as a distraction. There was a montage of, like, the the what he calls the fake news channels devoting so much uh, money and time because Donald Trump time during that election year was money was gold man and there's a montage of, I like the montage of uh, people asking Hillary about her emails and then like little things like like sex assault number of victims special move like fucking Matt Lauer who would like automatically lock the door lock, behind her. yeah would lock doors on women. And Charlie Rose, whose robe would flip open, you know, and his dick would hang out. The head of CBS who just walked. What's that fucker's Les Moonves? Les Moonves, yeah. He's on there talking about how Trump is and making. He didn't even make the cut because that happened so recently. Yeah, I know. The documentary's already in the <laughs> Yeah, it was already in the edit. It was finishing up when he, by the time he walked. I but... think the movie may have already been out. Yeah. Because that, that shit just happened like a week and a half ago. But Les Moonves was, was talking about how he was admitting on camera that during that election year that Donald Trump is making mad money. Printing CBS. money. They couldn't take the camera They're off They're all of culpable. Him. I mean, and, yeah. I've, and I've been saying that since day one. Like, you fucking created this monster. Yeah. All of you did. And he, He's an id. He's a walking id. Yeah. He is all of this personified. He is elitism personified. I don't know if any, like, people who voted for Trump listen to this. He wouldn't give you the fucking time of day. He wouldn't let you in his fucking house. You'd yeah. be lucky. Yeah. You'd be lucky. You elected a, an elitist. You elected everything that you criticized those Democrats for being. This guy's the same fucking and he, thing. And he conned you. And that's the thing is so many. I, I honestly feel like so many people who voted for him might not say it out loud. But they do feel fucking con because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing when I, you. I understand that. Totally, I totally yeah. get that. I would probably be the same way. I mean, but I mean, it's a certain point. You got to cop to the fact that we got a fucking raw deal. Like we fucking got bamboozled. Yeah. And you you can't we we can't move on from that until there's got to be some culpability. Yeah. You've got it, man. And there's there's culpability on both ends. I mean, on the liberal base of it, we're we got to clean up our house too. Yeah. 
and we're hopefully we're in the, we're in the process of cleaning that house up. And if things I'm seem really a little, nervous about these elections coming up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to make any calls on it, you know, but uh, I'm not expecting much. I'm at this point where it's like, I'll, I'll appreciate it when it happens, but I can't expect anything. Yeah. I can't put my hope into it. I'm just going to go and I'm going to vote. And that's all I can do. Yeah. And I understand that people don't feel inspired, but I just, I feel like we're keeping something horrible, just arm's length away. Yeah. And in an ideal world, the Democrats should be like the conservatives. I think the English have a saying about American politics. They say, uh, one of your parties is like our conservative party. And so is the other. <laughs> <laughs> that says it all, man. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much in a nutshell. But they talk about how Donald Trump will say things that are socialist, like the tariffs that are going on. That's left wing politics right there. Imposing tariffs, tariffs on companies that you feel are not paying you right, even though they're disaffecting jobs here. That is technically left wing politics. But people aren't really uh, calling Donald Trump a socialist. Right. I mean, Obama didn't put forth tar tariffs. He knew economically that wouldn't be good for him, even though there may be some uh, international plans that aren't benefiting working people here at home, but he wouldn't commit that economic suicide. He's trying to slowly rebuild this right. economy. In a, in a sustainable way. And, way. He, <laughs> and he at least regulated these banks, and those regulations are gone. So you better believe the bubble is growing now. Oh, yeah. And I know there's a lot of talks of there's jobs out there. another one coming around the bend. <laughs> I know there's a lot of talks about the, how there's, there's jobs. The economy's better. Who is it better for? Let me ask you, if you're very wealthy, I'm sure you're fucking loving it. But if you're just a regular person, a regular stiff like me and a kill here, tell me how much better it is for you. Yeah. How's your 4OK doing? I got one. It's not very strong. Your 4OK? You have a 4OK? Did I only say 4OK? <laughs> How's your 401K? What's that hot new job? Yeah, there are a lot of jobs out there. You know where they are? Fucking Taco Bell. Yeah. Yeah, we need toilets clean. No one's going to pay you enough money, you know. And I'm not against the uh, the janitor, the custodians. No. You're my heroes. You're more important than most of the people we see in this movie. I was at McDonald's a couple of weeks ago getting some breakfast before work, and I walked in. It's the McDonald's on Gallatin Road. I don't know if you've been there recently. They have kiosks now, <laughs> just like the grocery store, where you don't even have to talk to a person. Just get in the kiosk line and swipe your car and pick all the. It actually takes longer because you have to go through this whole fucking menu, all these steps to figure out what it is you want. You pay there. This guy standing next to me, um, and uh, I said, "Yeah, I don't think I'm going to use that kiosk anymore because I feel bad because I mean, someone who works here. That's just another way to get rid of jobs. Yeah, replacing people with screens. Mm -hmm. And he goes on this whole thing of how, well, let me ask you this." Do you think that the person that works behind the counter at McDonald's, you know, should make as much, you know, he talks about how, you know, he works 50 hours, you know, he, his, he's worked and built himself and he's got a home and all this stuff. Do you think they should make as much as me? And my initial reaction was, no. Nah. And then I thought about it. It's like, well, why the fuck shouldn't they? Yeah. What makes your job any more important than what they're doing? Why everyone in their mind is like a hard, great work, better worker than everyone around. Yeah. Them. I, I hear this judgment. I hear this judgment shit. Everyone hates poor people. Why does everyone even fucking poor? We have a culture that is where even poor people are hating on poor people. Yeah. 
Why? Because it's easy. Because that's how things are set up no in one, this country. No one is saying that the person at McDonald's should make fifty thousand dollars a year. They're saying they should make a living wage. Right. They should be able to if they're working. If they're putting in a full forty hours a week. They should be able to fucking pay their bills. Yeah. Not have to worry where their next meal is coming from. Have to decide between getting prescription medication or putting gas in the car. Like everyone deserves that. 80% of the jobs are service industry jobs. Yeah. That means most jobs are like having to do shit like yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. If you don't pay people a living wage, you've got a serious fucking problem on your hands. And there's a lot of people who are making these judgment calls that are one bad day away from being even worse than a McDonald's employee. Yep. And you need to check your fucking shit. You need to check your fucking shit, America, and quit judging people and lift each other up for fuck's sake. There is a, I mean, there is a pride, no matter what you're doing, if you're doing your job and you're doing it well and you're trying to do it to the best of your abilities, like there is a, you should take pride in that. Yeah. And you should be compensated accordingly for that. You should be able to fucking maintain your life and take care of your fucking kids. Whether you're flipping burgers or you're fucking working at a bank. Like I used to work. That's all. That's always this. The whole thing of this country has always been starting from the bottom and working your way up. Like you, there's, you have, there's a struggle you have to go through to work your way up through the top. Yeah. It's like, but why does everyone have to start from the bottom? Why are we set up that way? Why is this country arranged in such a way where only through, cause let's face it. A lot of that shit is sheer luck timing so much nepotism, knowing the right people, all of that shit comes into play. It's it, the actual amount of hard work you put in for most of these high paying jobs. Yeah. A person working at a fucking fortune 500 company or an investment banker is not working harder than someone who's no. putting in 10 hour shifts fucking at Walgreens. I, like- used, <laughs> I used to work the drive throughs I used to flip your burgers and, and I now work a job that I've been at a long time where most of the time I'm sitting on my ass. And it pays better. I get better benefits. I got good health care through it. Those jobs were working drive through as a teenager and flipping burgers in my early 20s. Way harder than what I'm doing right now. Absolutely. Way harder. Sweatier. You had to move a lot. You get fucking yelled at for very little to nothing. Yep. And the job I got now is just like, I'm really just sitting down. And I'm not hating on my job. I'm very grateful for it. But that's the American dream is doing the minimal amount of work for the maximum amount of income. Yeah. That's that's how it's why everyone's wired here. That's how you're brought up to think. God forbid you do manual labor. Why would you do manual labor? Yeah. That's no. We don't. We got a generation of people who are parents who actually even going further back. My grandparents. Well, that's all they did. My grandmother was. She was a, a, a maid. Yeah. She'd bust herself across town to the white neighborhoods to clean people's houses and take care of their kids. And then she'd come home and do the same thing for my mom and my aunts and uncles. And she, the whole thing was got to go to school, get an education. I don't want you. This is not what you, I want for you, which yeah. I totally understand. Yeah. But the flip side of that is I feel like a message was also passed along that this is beneath you. Yeah. There is no, this is not something you should want to pursue. Yeah. I feel like the eighties and nineties had a lot of that message. Like those Bruce Springsteen songs were all about that factory life and working people.
but they weren't really selling that life very well. He was speaking of the hardships that people had raising their families and being a community. Yeah, you're right. They didn't really sell it very well. And the Clinton era kind of pushed a lot of that aside. And there was an economic boom, but we know it was an economic boom for people who are already in privileged positions. Right. So now it's like, now we have a lot less of that. And now it's like, oh shit, we really needed that. This shit may be so rigged now. Like Amazon won't go to a city to build a warehouse unless it pays next to nothing in taxes. Yep. This is the biggest fucking company on the planet. They can afford it. They're, they're CEO. Why are we, we're giving them tax breaks to get them to come here to create a bunch of shitty jobs. Yeah. Where people are work to the bone and not getting paid a lot to do it. Like, yeah. Probably get crappy health care. And their CEO makes like $100 million practically a week. And this guy is well on his way yeah, to being a trillionaire. Yeah. Yeah. And if the city is lets him in and goes, look, you got to pay taxes, just like all these working people have to pay their share of taxes. They'll just take that shit and go somewhere else. Either another city that'll just be, pat them on the back and be like, you don't have to pay anything. Yep. Or go to another country where it's practically indentured servitude and they can just shove bodies into a warehouse and do it for you. What is to stop this from happening? The narrative of patriotism needs to switch. Everyone's yelling at fucking Colin Kaepernick. And it's like, what? This dude is being a patriot yeah. because he's utilizing his liberty to make a statement and you're making up these rules about when and where he can use it and what it means, even though he keeps telling you what he's doing. They're not fucking listening. And yet you'll empower these politicians that let billionaires keep them from paying their share into our society, but you'll actually give them money through massive tax breaks. Akil, (laughs) this is not, our episodes are usually very funny. And this one is, uh, yeah, this is it's got, some heavy shit, man. There's a lot to unpack. Uh, <laughs> the the end of this movie is like the Hitler stuff. Yeah, it's not as good as the first ninety minutes. Uh, I mean, he does make a point. He and it's history. You you do need to research history. You know, it's funny how um, when when people criticize what Trump's doing now, they'll say. Well, Obama was the deporter in chief. And it's like, yeah. And it does piss me off that a lot of liberals kind of did ignore that during the Obama administration. But when Republicans go to that talking point, when being criticized about Trump, that contradicts that during election years when they claim that Obama has like an open door policy to immigrants. Like it's a. You can't just change the narrative. But actually, they can just change the narrative. And they do. Because the president does it all the time. So that's just become the norm. Your truth is whatever you want your truth to be. That's where we're at right now. Truth is subjective. But the movie ends on full fear. There's good hope, but it does end on full fear. Which, to be fair, I feel like it was heavy handed. Yes, very heavy handed. But I feel like for what that movie was trying to accomplish, I think that it had to end on fear to a certain extent. Because ending on optimism right now is not going to light a fire under people's asses because that's it, we've been i mean we're we're hardwired at this point this country loves fear yeah we feed off of it we're, we're giving it through every freaking media outlet where we're at right now is partially because of fear mongering hold on just a second a kill we don't rate on a star rating scale <laughs> that's for we don't that's for uh the political elitists that's out for there. pussies we're here on the grassroots 
the Richard Ojeda fight you, Ojeda, Richard Ojeda, Richard Ojeda fight, fight your you ass in the street. In the fucking street. <laughs> I love that shit. <laughs> I'll fight you in the damn street right now. Herzog rating scale. Three times he said that. <laughs> You're going to give this movie one through five Herzogs. I'm going to give this movie one through five Herzogs. Then we'll combine them into hopefully uh, someday a nonpartisan, um, a nonpartisan union where hopefully a lot of, I do feel hopeful for the future. I just hope it doesn't get worse before it gets better. Yeah. A kill. What did you think of this movie? Fahrenheit 11, nine by Michael Moore. Uh, so first off, hate the title. Yep. Um, so that's, that's one thing, but it happened um, on 11, nine. I know it's, it's genius. How it worked oh. out that way. Um, I mean, it, it is, I mean, it, I understand the title. It just, it's, it's not a good title. Um, but I digress. So I enjoyed this documentary more than I thought I was going to. Um, I do feel like it's necessary. It's one of those things that could have a major effect in a positive way on the country as a whole. Unfortunately, at this point, I think people are so exhausted from the constant browbeating, the information overload that we are getting from Washington right now um, and across the country that it's just people. And I think that's part of the reason why the movie's not doing well is that people just don't. They just want to tune out. It's the easiest thing to do. Um there are heavy-handed moments, yes, but that's just part of Michael Moore's shtick. That's what he does. Um, he does it better than most documentarians do. Um, I appreciate the fact that he didn't go as far into the propaganda, the liberal propaganda machine in this one, not concluding the Hitler stuff, but <laughs> but compared to some of his movies in the past. Um there wasn't a ton of comedy in this movie, which like you mentioned before, that's traditionally been sort of his thing, even with dealing with really touch of, touchy stuff. He still manages to find a way to work some comedy into it. He did it at certain points in this movie, not as much. I feel like he's taking this whole thing more seriously because he feels like we're we're sort of, we're at an intersection or, you know what I'm trying to say. We're at a fork in the road right now. Um, so because he's taking it more seriously, that sort of came through in the documentary, not as much humor. Um, honestly, I kind of feel like it was my favorite one since Sicko, and I liked Sicko quite a bit. Could have done without the Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump innuendo stuff. Could have done without the, um, I thought the spraying of the lawn was one of those. Yeah, like, yeah, I was like, you, yeah, you didn't accomplish anything. Yeah, right what there, was, the, what was, they could have just completely edited that out of the movie. Yeah, right, definitely. Um, I mean, it's like two minutes. Like, what was, the, <laughs> what was the point of this? What did this accomplish? No, the best parts of that movie are when he's talking to, the young up-and-comers who really want to make changes. I really appreciate the attention he brought to Flint. I think that was really necessary. If That, if for no other reason, I wish more people would see this movie um, because, and I'm partial, I'm just as guilty as anyone else, we have forgotten about that city mm. um, and we really need to do right by them. Um, and the calling the Democrats to task, like he did that more than, than any other person I've seen in any medium at this point i think that's the most he's ever done it yeah yeah i mean i and that's the thing is he you know he he's never been afraid say what you will about michael moore he's never been afraid to you know pot call on the kettle but i mean he he'll put a target on you i mean he 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 doesn't discriminate um 
but it got it's at the point now where he that's not even a luxury anymore like you've got to bring people to task regardless of whether they're democrat or republican and democrats have a whole lot of fucking shit they need to be brought to task for um it hit me like it, it impacted me in a way that i didn't think it was going to i got a little fired up um thinking about running for office just putting that out there people <laughs> possibly announcing my candidacy whoa maybe i will maybe i won't i'll vote for you i appreciate that man uh, you can be my campaign would manager. you vote for me absolutely i'm uh running on forced castration very important issue to me <laughs> You just completely killed where I was going, man. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I'm going to, I think I'm actually going to, this might be the highest I've, I think I've given on Whoa. a documentary. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go with a four. I've never, wow. yeah, I've never gone higher than I think maybe a three and a half or three and a quarter or somewhere around there. Hmm. Um, but he did what he set out to do. Uh, I think he accomplished it in the best way that I think Michael Moore could have done it. There are certain Michael Moore-isms that are always going to be there. That's yeah. what makes his movies what they are. And I'm fine with that. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I encourage more people to see it. I think it speaks to a lot of people who probably won't see it because for some crazy reason, Michael Moore, who has long been the champion of the working class citizens of Michigan, has somehow been alienated from that same group of people to a certain extent, which is really strange to me. I don't know if I'll go that high, but I think it's interesting because Michael Moore can be kind of divisive amongst the liberal base. And I think there are some fair criticisms you can make of Michael Moore. But when we noted there was parts when he would encounter people in this movie, he taught, he met Jared Kushner and uh, what's Kellyanne Conway. When these people they see michael moore they get excited yeah they understand his approach and steve bannon is in this movie talking about how i don't agree with michael moore politically but i think he's a very good filmmaker that should tell you exactly where this is coming from and i think it's okay to sometimes be mad at michael moore and maybe think he didn't do something so great as others and maybe this movie is not just going is not going to be seen outside of the bubble it's being relatively speaking as i stated earlier it's being considered a flop even though it's probably going to be more than most documentaries ever do yeah he he was smart not to make it all about the upcoming midterm i was i was kind of expecting a movie that was going to be very dated very quickly uh, yeah same here but this movie could probably function up to the 2020 election pretty well it seems like people might be busting on michael a little bit right now but a lot of his movies have been slow burns. A lot of his movies have not opened up strong and then have built up. So I don't know if I would count Michael out yet in terms of your box office shit because the documentaries, we don't measure in box office anyway. We measure in how we feel about the movie. And I was really impressed on that Michael Moore was able to make a lot of this Trump shit funny because I feel like it's been very hard to find funny shit about Trump. It's actually an even harder to make Hillary look silly in the reactions of the Trump. This is my fight song. Oh, it just reminds a lot of people how this asshole is now, this giant asshole is now president, but he managed to make that story funny. I didn't really care for the end because most of the people who see this are going to be kind of encamped already on his side. I don't know if that will do that much. 
But the part where he is talking to those politicians that come from rising up from their community in reaction to what is being lost within their communities and the struggles, he wasn't talking to people in major city streets who have like nice coding jobs and shit. He's going to fucking West Virginia. He's going to Flint like he always does. He's talking to people who have serious needs. And that's the most important part of the movie. Absolutely. And even if you don't like certain parts of the movie, like I didn't like parts of the movie, there is parts of this movie that is incredibly important. And Michael Moore certainly has an agenda. You can be with it or you can not. But I think he is good at wielding a level of power. Some movies you can hate on him for it, but I think this one, he wields it pretty well. I'm not going to go as high as four, but I'm going to give Fahrenheit 11.9 a 3.5. That's respectable. So that's higher than I thought I was yeah. going to go. Just to add on, I honestly, I would have been content with just seeing a documentary about Flint, Michigan. Yeah. And where they're at right now, which a lot of this document, we haven't even touched on the Florida shooting. Yeah. And the, that's the right. That place in the documentary. Um, but yeah, I mean that there's so much to this movie. Yeah. You can't regardless, like, like Bobby said, regardless of what your politics are, whether you are a Michael Moore fan or not, you cannot watch that story about Flint, Michigan, if you are a human being and you have any iota of a heart, you can't not feel for those people and want the best for them and for things to be set right in that town. By the end of this movie, you might want to see Rick Snyder hanging from a lamp. Oh, I definitely want to see Rick Snyder hanging from a lamp. Yeah, I said it. I mean, this guy could eventually be responsible for the, the damaged health and lives of these people. But what happens if there's no accountability? What happens? Yeah. If the people who are suffering the most are ignored, there's only one way for this to go. And the quickest way to a full-fledged communism is capitalism unchecked. With capitalism, you need it to be bound together with socialist kind of policies. You need it to be bound. You need to pick things in your life and your society where people are put over dollars. Yep. If you can't make that sacrifice, if you can't, if people in power are not willing to give that to us, then this whole thing is going to fall. And communist societies have come up because things like monarchies and shit like that have run their course. It just doesn't happen like, well, the sun is shining one day. Let's be communist right. tomorrow. That's not how it fucking works. Yeah, it's a slow burn. You don't want to be the extreme version of any aspect of political or economic ideology if we don't say look our our education is not worth profiteering our health care is not worth profiteering the way we treat our elderly our elder care is not worth profiteering we can maintain some levels of our capitalistic values while helping each other our, our economy is like massive but you have to ask yourself what are we getting out of right they talk about things like like their handouts it's like what do you mean fucking handouts? We all pay taxes when we work. Even if you don't work, you go buy bread, you pay taxes. Pay taxes on fucking everything? Think about what is coming back. For, there is not an entitlement. You are owed something because you've paid your whole life. And if you're somebody who wants to take inventory on who's working hard or who isn't, I guarantee you it ain't going to take much for your life to be in the fucking toilet. No shit. So worry about your own damn self and maybe, I don't know, you listen to Jesus. <laughs> Get some Jesus. Oh, I'm not a Wow Shamwell, 2020. Look, I'm coming not, at you, folks. <laughs> I'm not a religious person, but I feel like there's a lot of people throwing Jesus' name around that ain't hearing them. Preach. Least, I mean, say it. 
Well, you know what Jesus will do. And I feel like a lot of behavior is not matching up to what what I remember Jesus talking about. I mean, I don't hate, I'm not a religious man, but I don't hate Jesus. No. He said some pretty cool shit. Cool guy. He didn't seem too hot on people in power. Allegedly, he was a cool guy. Yeah. (laughs) He could have been a composite of many people. If that is your real name. I mean, the evangelical political system. I mean, the fact that you even use the term evangelical political system, there's so many things wrong. The fact that that even exists. And that's, and if for anyone that's a part of that system or supports that system, if you want to like prop up this Trump guide so you can get a, a Supreme Court nominee in, hey, I remember that passage of the Bible where Jesus no, teamed I'm, up I'm with. I tell you, I don't. When, <laughs> remember when Jesus teamed up with the Pharisees? To like spread Christianity around Rome? No, that's not what happened. He fucking got <laughs> crucified because he was like, "Y'all need, y'all need to quit uh, changing money in my house." So, but whatever. Man, we got off track even at the end. God, this is too long. But I love you. <laughs> uh, how how much did you? Uh, okay, uh, <laughs> you gave it a four. I gave it a three point five. A seven point five out of ten hertz songs. For Fahrenheit 11.9 by Michael Moore. I think that may have been the highest rating we've had together. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Man, let's let's get out of here. Oh, dude. We could talk for 10 hours. I keep <laughs> thinking of things that I meant to say that I didn't say, but we can't do it. I wish that I had even brought up the Florida match. <laughs> like, oh, fuck. We kind of. How did we forget about that? <laughs> we did talk about guns a little bit. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Fuck it, buddy. Thanks for doing this with me. Keep Anytime. on time. Keep on talking. Oh, 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 sorry. (laughs) So I sat in the third row and Bobby sat in the sixth row. Yeah, yeah. That's how we did that. And then I moved down front. And then it got weird. So I went and moved back. I'll fight you in the damn street right now. This is my fight song. Take back my life.